This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome everyone to the must listen to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana under the dome with CD right here. On Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon and you're getting it kick-started right. I know I sure am because I'm here inside the palatial, the beautiful, the opulent, the cromulent 103.7 The Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Hey, we appreciate you listening however you're doing, so be it. On the FM dial from the Tower of Power. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Or if you're even listening in through the free mobile app, your smart speakers, Alexa, Google Home, Windows Phone. Oh, wait, Windows Phones don't really exist anymore. So make sure you're listening in to us however you're doing so. And we appreciate you doing so. Heck, even if you're listening in through an old transistor radio somehow, someway. Make sure you do so and you enjoy it. And, of course, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, so that just means when it comes to Saturday mornings. That i got to be the best of them all. That just cut and dried. I'm the best. Whether you like it or not, you're looking at, woo, the greatest, the best-looking man, the best-dressed man, long limousines, jet airplanes, custom-made clothes, and any woman in the world I want, just like that. It is absolutely a great Saturday morning. The weather outside is absolutely beautiful. I'm in a darn good mood. Hopefully you are as well. Getting your weekend started off right after all. I think it's the fact that we got sports, at least somewhat. We got, obviously, NASCAR going on. The UFC, that's going on. We've got everything else under the sun going on. We got golf getting started back up. With the Charles Schwab Invitational. Really intriguing stuff over there. I'll give you an update on that probably a little bit later in the program. And of course, we got NBA on the horizon. The MLB, who knows what the hell they're going to do. There is a lot of questions about what's causing all this. But of course, the game hotline, it is open, my friends. 337-706-0111. If you want to get into anything and everything, hit me up. Because, hey, we got a lot of time to do so. Only two guests. And it's kind of a take two of you. Well, Will. We're going to try again with the same guest that we had this past Saturday. We tried to get him on. Ian Castleberry, Blaine Henry, those same times, 1030 and 1130. Trust me, we'll get some new guests next week. But it kind of worked out in a sense. It's, it's a little ironic. You have UFC 250 with a fantastic main event. Amanda Nunes really proves that she is quickly becoming the GOAT of MMA in the world of the women's divisions. 
But of course, you know, we also have the news about Daniel Cormier, his last ride, all but confirmed. According to, I mean, Ariel Hawani permit said it on Jim Rome earlier this week. We'll talk a lot, of, a lot about the UFC then, MLB, all that stuff still going on, all that stuff still relevant. And of course, we know now, as I'm going to call it, the belt. The belt is out there. Pretty much, the MLB says if the MLBPA ain't acting right, they're pulling out the belt, and it's a 50 game season. Which will inevitably mean you have a grievance that's going to be filed down the road. But I'm going to table some of the conversation involving the MLB in that aspect till later on in the program. There's also some stuff that's kind of come out over the last couple of hours that I'm more than excited to talk about. And that involves the New York Yankees, sign stealing, and I can't help but to laugh at all of it. I'm going to talk about that probably later on in the program. But right about now... The last few weeks, I've been talking more from a national perspective. The hypotheticals, the what-ifs, the NBA coming back. Now, I want to kind of just center in and zero in on what is going on right here in the heart of Cajun country and the Bayou State in general. The Over in Baton Rouge is definitely the big story of the day, without a doubt. What happened yesterday with Walker Howard committing to the LSU Tigers and what this means for the future of the Bayou Bengals, and we're going to debut kind of a segment here called the Saturday Morning Sports Sermon, at least for right now. We saw the big news drop. On Friday morning, 11 o'clock, Walker Howard drops a fantastic video package committing to the LSU Tigers following in Jamie Howard, his father's footsteps. We saw another big great things from Jamie Howard, Walker Howard, so much hype surrounding this kid, a four-star player committing to the class of 2022. Are you kidding me? This is an amazing Story. This is another solid quarterback commit and another crown jewel in Ed Ogeron, especially when it comes to the world of recruiting. You just look at what he's been able to do over the last few years since taking over as the head coach of the LSU Tigers. He's recruited year after year after year of four-star players, five-star players. He's recruited his ass off to get players from the state of Louisiana. He's recruited like nobody else. He started to build that wall. We always hear about building the wall around the state of Louisiana to keep these kids in, be it at LSU, be it at UL, be it at Tulane, La Tech, Southern, Grambling, Nichols State, everywhere in between. He wants to keep these guys in-house. And the commitment of one, Walker Howard, is a testament to that. And add the fact that this tells me a lot about what the future of the LSU Tigers is going to be. It is going to be a very pass-happy offense. Ed Ogeron knows that they can't go back to the 2012 LSU teams of the past, the, the, the end of the last miles era where you saw them go I-formation, three-wide receiver, five-wide receiver. We saw all those things. Guess what? It didn't get you very far in the long run. Right here, right now, LSU is set, setting themselves up for a whole lot of success in the long-term future. Now, what I mean by long-term, think about it. Miles Brennan is going to be your starter for this year and next year, more likely than not. Then you got 
Huh, boy, you've got a veritable who's who in terms of top flight quarterbacks. We can talk about Garrett Nussmeyer, a four-star quarterback, pro style, out of Flower Mound, Texas. His father played for the Saints back in the gap. He is going to be a guy to watch in the future. He's going to have some time to be developed a lot like what we've seen with a guy like a Walker like a Walker Howard is going to be. Like a Miles Brennan has been. Think about this, people. Miles Brennan has spent the last three years alongside guys like Danny Etling, Joe Burrow, Steve Insminger, Joe Bleepin' Brady. If he hasn't learned how to do this, work this offense the way they expect him to, it doesn't have to be Joe Burrow. He's got to be the best Miles Brennan he can be. And I think, honestly, with all the training he's had and all the people he's been around, it, he's it's become by osmosis. We see Miles Brennan become the face of LSU and really step his game up here. Don't be surprised if he's at the virtual SEC media days. But Garrett Nussmeyer, you got him in 2021. 2022, you already have one in the boat, and that is none other than the man himself, Walker Howard, the man of the hour, a second-generation talent, a blue chipper, a guy who haven't seen a whole heck of a lot when it comes to the overall body of work. But we can say, we, as in me and you, we can all say we've seen nothing but great things from a guy like Walker Howard. He has definitely shown signs of greatness working with guys like Jake DeLome, former New Orleans Saint, Louisiana Raging Cajun. He is going to be the future of this team. This is class of 2022. And then comes class of 2023. And if you haven't been paying attention, here's two names you need to keep an eye on. Arch Manning and Eli Holstein. And if you get either one of those, you're going to have one hell of a talent. Eli Holstein coming out of Zachary. Arch Manning, you know where he's at. Isidore Newman. He started as a freshman. There's so much hype surrounding that kid, and justifiably so. You're around your grandfather's Archie Manning. Your dad's Cooper, but at the same time, you've got uncles and Archie and Eli Manning. Those two guys alone are probably teaching him so much about the game, and he has so many more opportunities to succeed. Don't be surprised if Arch Manning doesn't necessarily commit to LSU because of the fact, again, it feels like the legacy is to go to Ole Miss. A lot of the crystal balls have it warm. Again, this is a 2023 kid. He could be committing further down the line. He's keeping this thing under wraps justifiably so because you know they're pretty much hounding them at all, the t- all hours of the day. You've got Arch Manning and Eli Holstein. Yes, and I gotta say, this cat is gonna be really good. And I can't wait to see what happens with both these guys. And add the fact you've got Caleb Holstein, yet excuse me, Walker Howard. You've got Garrett Nussmeyer waiting in the wings alongside all the other great talent on the offensive side of the football, like a JoJo Earl, like a Deion Smith. This is just class of 2021 cats. Yet Corey Kiner out of Cincinnati, Ohio who's a four-star commit. You've got so many great players to fill up the next couple years alongside some of the players you have now. There is talent abound. You know Coach O well enough. Coach O knows how to crush on the recruiting trail and get the best possible guys 
And I think he's going to wind up doing a bang-up job with the class of 2022. We see what they can do going forward. And trust me, there's going to be the Colas Crawford is the class of 2022 cat. And we know the hype surrounding him is all too real. There is going to be tons of things up for grabs if you're a fan of the LSU Tigers. And I'm almost certain if you're listening to the station, you are. Hey, if you're a Cajuns fan, more power to you. Let us and trust me, they got a hell of a player as well. Hunter Herring, and I'll give you a little spoiler for next week. Hunter Herring going to be joining the program next Saturday, ten fifteen a.m. We're going to have him on. We're going to ch- chat him up about his commitment to the Cajuns, why he chose them over Ewell Monroe, a lot of other things as well. Can't wait to talk to him about that and so much more next Saturday on the program. But without a doubt. LSU is setting themselves up. There's an old saying that you remember hearing around the time of the housing collapse, too big to fail. LSU's recruiting techniques and tactics and signing players and getting to commit to the culture that LSU is bringing to the table, commit to the offense that LSU has shown that they have a potential to do with guys like a Steve Insminger, like a Scott Linehan. There is so much potential that we can say right here, right now, LSU's recruiting class is too big to fail. You heard me right. This 2021, 2022, 2023, maybe even all the way to 2023, well, maybe 2030 even, maybe even 2049 if we're going to go a Blade Runner reference. This is a system that is too big to fail. I cannot wait to see what happens with LSU's recruiting in the future. As long as Ed Ogeron is at the head of that kind of monolith, he is the crown jewel, the king of recruiting. And if the king of recruiting continues, we see nothing but greatness. We see national championships. We see SEC championships. We see titles hanging up on the wall. We eventually see Nick Saban go go away. He retires. If Ed Ogeron sticks around, this will be a dynasty unlike any other. Am I speaking up a lot of hype about Ed Ogeron? Maybe. But at the end of the day, tell me somebody who hasn't been able to put up those kind of numbers, who's been able to put up these kind of consistent recruiting classes in the first four years. Remember, he got signed full-time after the 2016 season. And in quick succession, he has turned LSU from about an eight, nine win team to undefeated national champions, reigning defending national champions. He beat Alabama. He beat Clemson. He beat the dog. You know what? Out of Oklahoma. And we know come week two, started one of my friends out there. who's a Texas Longhorns fan. They're going to stomp a mud hole and walk it dry. And that's the bottom line. Cause the famous CD said so. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we've got a lot more things to talk about, not just what's causing all this with Walker Howard, everything in between. We've got some news about the New York Yankees. What? We've got some news about the MLB. What? We've got some news about the NBA. Yes, you heard me right. We got news about the NBA. And trust me, you're going to want to hear some of the stuff that was talked about involving Kyrie Irving and a conference call with a bunch of players. I think it was a Zoom call. I don't know. But Kyrie Irving, the flat earther, he's got some thoughts about restarting the NBA season, which, eh, you know, 
guy. They all agreed to it. Deal with it. We'll be back with more after this. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. And if you want to get your shots up, 337-706-0111. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up there, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Not going to lie, I would love a shrimp po' boy right about now. Because again, like since like the pandemic has started, I haven't necessarily been able to go out to eat. I haven't been able to go out to my favorite shrimp po' boy place in all the land and scarf down some nice shrimp po' boys, have a little bit of fries on the side and have a lot of fun, just enjoying life. So hopefully you're out there enjoying it. On this beautiful Saturday morning, hopefully you enjoy the new segment, potentially the Saturday morning sports sermon. I don't know if that name's going to last long, but you know what? It is what it is. But one of the other big things that kind of has happened over the last 24 hours, and it's interesting what's going on over in the Longhorn State. And again, this is just from their perspective. This is just from them. Now, could this happen nationwide? I don't necessarily know because, again, we've seen it happen. We've seen how like COVID nineteen has affected a lot of different states on a case by case basis. We can't say right here, right now, that things are working either way, but things aren't looking good for states like Texas and like Florida. So, I'm going to bring this up real quick. I'm just going to give you the facts here. I'll give you a little bit of opinion as well, but this isn't necessarily great news. Houston, the Houston Cougars, have suspended all voluntary workouts. Six students tested positive for COVID-19. These were symptomatic students less than two weeks after the university allowed athletes to return to campus on June 1st. According to a release from the school, impacted students have been placed in isolation and contract tracing procedures have been initiated. Now, it makes you wonder. This is coming, I'm going to pull this up. I saw this last night. I'm a, I have to remember the dude's name. Joseph Duarte of the Houston Chronicle, I couldn't remember his name. I saw it last night. Kind of having to pull this up. When it comes down to it, he brought this up as part of a release. It's basically you've got them saying that they, as was contemplated prior to the return of athletes on June 1st, COVID 19 testing will be now be conducted. If contemplated, what was the reason for doing it? A valid question that should be answered. School will not have no further comment tonight. When it comes down to it, I'm wondering why that wasn't already part of the protocol. We look across the country, several different programs across the country, especially in southern countries, southern states, excuse me, Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas State, Boise State, Florida State, Houston, Iowa, Marshall, Mississippi, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech, and UCF. The only one to have suspended operations is Houston. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they have, they did not do any prior testing. They didn't test them before they got on campus cuz again, you got to think about it. If you've ever been part of a like inside of a locker room, inside of a gym during practice, I, I was seeing a story pop up. I can't remember exactly who said it, but it was a former player. And the fact that you've got the situation where you but basically you can have like 10 guys catch mono just like that, some because of the fact that they're all inside this these tight quarters. Again, 
there needs to be a lot more preparation setting things up. But the Houston, Texas area got hit hard, and this is coming from kind of a hot spot because Houston has emerged as a hot spot since Memorial Day, and there's a little bit of a second wave. And they only conducted tests on athletes as they returned to campus if they showed symptoms instead of testing guys who were asymptomatic. That way you could try and at least quell the problem before it breaks out even further. There's a big problem with that. Why wasn't that part of the protocol? I know the Cajuns, they've already been testing. And they're probably testing on the daily, making sure these guys are on the level. That way they can know, oh, hey, let's just go ahead and move on and set up everything perfectly. Set yourself up for a lot of success to where you don't necessarily have to worry about like shutting down practice. That was a big issue for me, seeing that online. I saw that, again, this was like last night. saw this pop up. Houston suspending all of their activities. I know the Cajuns aren't suspending their activities. Mind you, they haven't announced a COVID-19 positive test. I know there was a student who tested positive, but th- that person has been isolated. That's how you handle the situation. That person has been isolated, but also more importantly, do regular checks. Do regular checks, especially with athletes. LSU is doing the same thing. We're, Alabama was doing the same thing. Yes, they got some COVID-19 tests that were positive, but guess what? They knew who it was, and they tested it well ahead of time to where they know, oh, hey, let's put these guys in and let's isolate them and let's have them do give them contactless food. That way they don't infect the rest of the team. And we continue the testing and we go for, we go on and we move on from there because they know that the season is like the priority numero uno. Even if you, if you have fans or if you don't, and this is coming from Dan Wolken last night, that Greg Abbott, Texas governor, spent an hour on a Zoom call with FBS ADs in the state and said that the message on the call was clear. More than 50% fan capacity in stadiums is highly unlikely to happen. That is an amazing thing to hear from a guy like Greg Abbott, who just a few weeks ago was kind of like saying, hey, you know, we're going to let fans in the stands. We're going to let them in. And now it's kind of like, it's not necessarily like full crawfishing, but it feels like he is definitely kind of pulling back a lot more now that he's seen some things. He is kind of like a referee in an NFL game. After further review, the ruling on the field, we're going to reverse it or somewhere along those lines where he's reviewing it and realizing there is some stuff going on. And I got to say, there is a lot of questions surrounding what was going on with Houston and why the Cougars decided to do that. Why they didn't decide to do tests regardless If you're asymptomatic or not, run tests. Know if these guys have a low-grade fever or not. Make sure you know these guys every day they come in and they fill out these questionnaires and they're honest about it and bring out the transparency. There's a lot of questions with that. What was going on with the Houston Cougars football program? But looks like we got a call on the game hotline. We'll get to that, and we'll take a quick timeout in a little bit. Let's see who we got on the line. What's going on? Good morning. Hey, what's going on? So, what, not much. What the governor of Texas saw is that the numbers are going up in the state of Texas for positive tests and hospitalizations. That's what's going on. And it's going up just about throughout all the major cities in Texas Austin, Dallas, Antonio, Houston. Uh, you think the numbers are steadily rising, so it only makes sense. Well, I find I find this very interesting. All these young men and women are supposedly student athletes, 
And, but it seems like they're putting the athletic part ahead of the student part when it comes to their safety. You know, everybody wants to go back and play football. And I understand. I even heard some guys say, oh, we need, we need sports. We need, we need NFL, we need um, college baseball, we need well, college football, we need this, we need that. You don't, you don't need it. It's something you want, but it's not a need. You know, uh, and we don't need sports if it's going to endanger these young men and women's lives. Plain and simple. You know, they don't get paid for, for participating in these athletic sports on college campuses anyway, so there's no need to go and put their lives in danger. That is a great point, Ron. That's a great point. I appreciate you getting in on the conversation. I'm going to go ahead and kind of let you go there. Not because you didn't have, It was great, great, great point that all were made. But it's like, you know, I agree with you. You know, it's not a need for sports. Like, we as a sports fan base, we don't necessarily need it in terms of, like, a necessity to live and to breathe. But I think it's more of a absolute need for college programs. Think about this before we take a quick timeout. If you don't have college football, I guarantee you, I can guarantee you right now, college sports dies. Because I don't think... College sports can live without college football. College football helps run the ship, helps run the college basketball, college baseball, college softball. If you don't have the money coming from the college sports like you do with college football, it's going to be an uphill climb to get all these other programs to stay afloat. That's why we're seeing several colleges cut programs that were deemed unnecessary programs like kind of lacrosse and stuff like that, stuff that maybe isn't necessarily the, even if it's not like a, not necessarily a huge money drawer, but it's something that I think several different programs are going to be looking at going forward. I appreciate the call, but I think there's, it's not necessarily a need in terms of the populace, but in, but college football coming back is a need for these college programs and probably in some cases college universities. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout when we come back. We're going to bring on Ian Castleberry, talk a little bit about what's going on with the MLB, and we'll do it again. We'll run that back next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. You gotta give the people what they want on this Saturday morning, and that is one under the dome, but number two. Our next guest on the game hotline writes for the comeback and more importantly is a huge baseball guy, and that is Ian Castleberry. Ian, what is going on, my good brother? I'm doing well, Clint. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Consider this a kind of take two after last <laughs> week's kind of just absolute mess, and I apologize like profusely oh, for the fact no, that I'm... things – and again, this was more like – at first I thought maybe it was your end, but turns out it was our end. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. I, that I don't have to buy a new headset or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm yeah, I'm glad we could do it again. 
Exactly. I'm, I'm glad we could do it again. And, and thankfully, like the conversation's still relevant because the MLB and the MLBPA, <laughs> it's continuing to be what I've been calling it. It's a Mexican standoff at this point. We're seeing these two guys kind of do kind of entities standing there about 20 feet apart from the desert, practicing social distancing and just staring each other down, <laughs> trying to figure out how they can get this season going. And the latest proposal hasn't gone over well either. No, there there really doesn't seem to be much negotiation. I realize the the trading the offers back and forth is a form of negotiation, but it, it doesn't seem like the two the two sides are really sitting down and talking. They're just you know the owners give an offer, the players reject it, the players counter with an offer, uh, uh, the owners reject it. But the the thing to keep coming back to is that the owners' offer always seems to basically be the same offer, it's just presented or dressed a, a little bit differently. The, the players have continued to stick to the idea that they want full prorated salaries, which they feel like they negotiated uh, when these two sides came to an, an agreement in March, right after everything shut down. And the owners have tried to change the terms, believing that there was language in the agreement that allowed for this, saying that, well, the games aren't going to be in front of fans. We're not going to have the same revenue, so you have to meet us uh, at a different point. And they keep slicing the loaf a little bit more, like, okay, uh, 50% of, of prorated salaries based on this number of games or 75% of prorated salaries based on this number of games. But if you look, if you look more deeply, more closely at the numbers, it really doesn't change in terms of how much the players are going to get. Uh, it, it's essentially 33% of the, what they would have been paid for 2020. It, it just looks different, but based on the number of games and the number uh, and the percentage of prorated salaries versus the percentage of salaries that would be paid uh, if there's a postseason. So uh, I, I don't know if you saw Andrew McCutcheon's uh, video that he put on Twitter Yesterday, uh, I would encourage anybody to uh, to look up uh, Andrew McCutcheon on Twitter. I think he's the Cutch 22, uh, and he put together a video which really sums up the uh, the standoff and why the players continue to reject these offers from the owners. That uh, he he presented a video as uh, giving a, his child uh, promising to reward his child some juice uh, if he properly potty trained. And then cutting back with water, and the kid keeps saying, no, you promised juice. He goes, well, what about water? What about water in this different bottle? Uh, so I think that's really uh, what's resulted in what you called this Mexican standoff. It just feels like, and again, this is coming from the latest proposal, a 72-game season. Players will only be guaranteed, I believe, between like 70, 70 to like 83% of their salary. And, you know, what is the biggest reason why the, the MLB – doesn't want to give these guys just the 100% prorated salary for a 70-game season or whatever. Because it's like, I feel like that's the, like all you have to do really is give them what they want. And that is a prorated salary 100% instead of like, if they had, if they had put like, let's say 75% in that initial proposal where it was like an 82 game season or something along those lines, 82 games, and you give them, like, let's say 75%, would that have solved the issue? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, that is kind of the nuclear option here is that 
uh, you know, Rob Manfred has said that the agreement allows baseball to institute a season of, of which would be 48 uh, games, and, and the catch with it would be they would get they would have to give full prorated salaries, but those full prorated salaries would be based on 48 games versus 81 or, or you know, in excess of 100. But yes, if the owners agreed to give in to on prorated salaries or stuck to the agreement that the players believe that was reached in March, we would have a baseball season. They would probably be playing right now, or at least they would be in you know spring training too, preparing for uh, an early July start, uh, maybe starting around the 4th of July weekend. That, of course, is all out the window now. You know, there's some talk that maybe they could start July 10th. I question if that's even uh, in the cards anymore. I mean, really, this is something that needed to happen two, three weeks ago. Uh, If we'd had this conversation two, three weeks ago, I would have said, look, they got to decide this now. And the reason there doesn't seem to be urgency on the owner's part is that the owners want as short a season as possible so they don't have to pay that much in prorated salaries. And that so they get most of most of the revenue will come from the postseason, which is where the, the TV money, uh, you know, from Fox, from Turner, from ESPN really kicks in. Exactly. And, you know, when it comes down to it, the 48 game season. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ian. It's all right now with Ian Castleberry of the comeback of uh, awful announcing. Excuse me. And when it comes down to it, what you what is the biggest like part of this? Because I'm thinking if I'm not mistaken. They postseason is not guaranteed in this forty-eight game thing, right? No, it's not guaranteed. That's why you would think if they were going to bother playing a regular season, why would they not have a postseason? But it's not guaranteed because you know, as we see, you know, outside of baseball, you know, that the numbers for COVID nineteen are beginning to spike uh, in some states uh, and some regions where, if there are home games played. Uh, suddenly those areas are at risk again. And the fear all along, uh, especially from Major League Baseball owners, but I assume that the the concern is on the player's side as well, is that we could have a second wave uh, of COVID-19 in the fall, maybe after October. And then if a postseason had to go past or, or into October, but even past October, maybe into November, that it would be impossible to play those games because of safety concerns. Oh, no doubt. I think there's just going to be a lot of different questions with this. And the fact there's no postseason guaranteed makes you wonder, what's the point of playing a 2020 season at all with this? But then also brings up the question, if a season, even if it, like the 48-game season happens and we see a, a grievance filed, which seems inevitable at this point, the grievance is filed, could that like postpone this 2020 season even further? Or will this be a thing where this gets held up? And we're waiting until next year to see that grievance really be filed, and we and then we see maybe the twenty twenty one season going away. I think we will see that grievance filed if uh, baseball does end up being played. One thing that hasn't really been reported, it's kind of been lost underneath all this uh, battling back and forth over salaries, is that the owners, uh, as part of their uh, latest proposal, said for the players they needed to sign a waiver, saying, "Okay, you know that you understand." You know, you are at risk uh, in playing uh, these games. And that might be a deal breaker for, for the players, especially if they're playing for, you know, 48%. For, you know, in some cases, it's going to be, you know, 30% uh, 
of their 2020 salaries. And there's a lot of players, uh, Blake Snow was uh, one who was most outspoken about it, who think that it's not worth playing you know, for, for that low percentage of their salary, for that few number of games, uh, when the health risks, the safety risks are, are still so high. If there's not a season, Ian, how much is this going to cause like the MLB to go into like a downward spiral? Because it just feels like, with again, this is the perfect like storm to see the MLB go down in like flames. Because you've got the fact COVID nineteen has caused a big change in how businesses run across this country, hell across the world. We're seeing layoffs by the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. People are getting furloughed, pay cuts, everything in between. Across this country, people are seeing them complain about billionaires fighting millionaires, trying to figure out a deal to get a season going. How much is this going to turn away a ton of fans? I think it's going to be devastating. It's going to be the 1994 strike, uh, if not worse, all over again. You're going to have fans saying they are done with baseball. As you said, you know, billionaires arguing with millionaires. When some people uh, don't have jobs, when they're struggling to make rent, struggling to keep their businesses afloat, and, and these guys are arguing over uh, millions and billions of dollars, uh, I think you know it took what four, five seasons, maybe even more, for baseball uh, to regain some favor in the eyes of fans after the 1994 strike. I think it's going to be much worse in terms of fans being disgusted with this game, uh, disgusted with the players, disgusted with the owners. And, you know, the longer baseball is out uh, in terms of games not being played out of the, the, the sports and cultural conversation, it gets easier to ignore. So I think this will be devastating for baseball uh, if they don't play, if they do try to come back in 2020. They have lost. They will have lost. So many fans uh, that I think you're going to see, you know, if baseball is arguably the second or third most popular uh, team sport in the United States, I think you're looking at it sinking uh, even further if they don't play. Got one more here with Ian Castleberry, part of Awful Announcing, and that is, is Rob Manfred the worst manager, the worst commissioner in all of the major sports leagues in in America? (laughs) I I think he is. Uh, I would not have said that. Uh, even a year ago, I, I, I kind of liked the fact that Rob Manfred seemed to be so curious uh, as to listening to all these ideas to alter pace of play and so forth. But Rob Manfred comes across as somebody who just doesn't seem to like baseball. They keep constantly uh, trying to change what baseball is. And now he's, he seems to be totally a puppet of the owners, which he is hired by the owners. But you compare him to someone like, say, Adam Silver, who really seems to have the interest of the players at heart in terms of mental health, physical health, uh, and, and so forth. And baseball players don't get that feeling at all from Rob Manfred. And he's completely lost the message, you know, for, for baseball to make this about salaries. If baseball didn't play, if they came out and said, look, we don't think it's safe enough, I think people would be okay with that, right? Uh, even though as, as we try to open up uh, as a country. But Rob Manfred has done such a bad job continually in promoting baseball, in presenting what makes baseball great, uh, that I do uh, think he is the worst of the major sports commissioners right now. And that's saying something, considering the fact, obviously, we've still got Roger Goodell to deal with in the NFL. But when it comes down to it, 
I think it's like the fact Rob Manfred has done so much damage to himself in the last six months from the piece of metal content that he yeah. comments that he had after the sign stealing scandal, all the aftermath of that. And then we see this. It's like Rob Man and the fact like the other night Carl Ravitch just largely just owned him on the MLB draft broadcast on the on Sports Center, saying basically telling him, Hey, let's get let's get our bleep together and try and get this season going. Yeah, and it goes back even farther than that. You know, he does things like blaming Mike Trout for not promoting himself or allowing Major League Baseball uh, to promote him as a player. That's one thing that's been terrible uh, under Manfred's uh, tenure, even before that. With Bud Selig, baseball did such a bad job of promoting its stars. You know, there there is more young talent in this game than ever, Uh, talent that, that fans should get behind, capture their imagination. But you compare the way they promote their stars, their players, too, especially the NBA, but also uh, the NFL and even the NHL. Uh, to, to blame that on the player them, himself or the players themselves is it, just it, it's baffling uh, and a total lack of accountability on Manfred and Major League Baseball's part. I'd have to agree with you. And thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Hopefully we have a season coming up like in the future because I'm getting tired oh, yeah. of talking about what-ifs. I want to see what is. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting if they do play. You know, I, I think the number of games, uh, the rule changes that, that will be in place for the 2020 season. If they play, this could be fascinating, and I certainly hope we get to talk about that. Thank, you. Thanks again, Ian. All right, glad we could work it out. Thanks, Clint. All right, that was Ian Castleberry. You can follow him on Twitter at Ian Cass. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Time out. Wrap up hour number one next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD. Yeah. Who will break it all down for us. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia and a sports station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Wrapping up our number one in style and coming to you live as always from the 1037 The Game studios. It's me, myself, and I. And guess what? The game hotline, it is now back open, 337-706-0111. And I got to say, I am just absolutely loving what's been going on with the MLB draft for the most part. Again, the MLB is just an absolute dumpster fire and a half. But the fact that the MLB draft saw two LSU Tigers, one Raging Cajun, and a five-round truncated draft thanks to this COVID-19 pandemic, we saw Hayden Cantrell get picked up in the fifth round, first one since Corey Coles did it back in 2003. It's absolutely amazing. But I'm going to start off, I'm, I'm just going to tease here. I'm starting off hour two going in on something that kind of popped up over the last hour. And I think if you're an Astros fan, you're going to love this and you're going to want to laugh and laugh and laugh at what happened today involving Aaron Judge a letter, an unsealing of a letter from 2017 with allegations of, wait for it, sign stealing. Yes, you heard me right. It is happening, people. We're going to find out that the Yankees 
were sign stealing too, and I cannot wait for it. They 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 are the ones that I'm absolutely been looking forward to seeing just fall on their sword. Cause honestly, I cannot stand the New York Yankees. Never have, never will. They are the entitlement team of the MLB. They are the guys who wanna who basically buy their entire team and they and they're treated like like the all stars. They're treated like kings. No, they can do no wrong. Well, guess what, folks? We may find out that the Yankees did wrong, and I cannot wait for it. I'm going to laugh and laugh and laugh at all those people from New York that were talking so much trash about the Astros and their sign ceiling scandal. Brother, I cannot wait. They are going, they should be getting just destroyed in social media right now. If you look along Astros players' Twitters, they are actually having fun with it. I am. I, I think that's why I'm in such a good mood right now. The fact that we're going to see the Yankees, the evil empire, the heels get their comeuppance in this sense. I'm feeling like a kid on Christmas Day right about now. Now, again, we won't have a season anytime soon, but I think this is a step in the right direction in terms of maybe some karma, some justice, sweet, sweet justice. But when we come back, we're going to get to that and a whole lot more. Hopefully, you have a great Saturday morning, 1130. We're going to bring on Blaine Henry. Talk a little UFC recap 215. Look ahead to what looks to be a really stacked like next couple of weeks. You got Dustin Poirier, main event, Dan Hooker. That, got, that was originally scheduled for a San Diego show. That's being moved up a little bit, so I can't wait to talk about that. And maybe a little Kyrie Irving, Flat Earther, and all the other crap that he's trying to pull. We're going to be back after this. Hour two of two coming up next right here on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! It's time! And time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live, as always, we mean always, from the opulent, the decadent, Dare I say the perfectly cromulent 1037 Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Hey, we appreciate you listening however you're doing so. Hit us up however you can through the FM dial, the Tower of Power. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Or heck, even if you're listening to us through that free mobile app, smart speakers, the Amazon Alexa, Google Home, everything in between, we just, we just got to say one thing to you. Oh, yeah. 
We appreciate you listening to the show however you can. And we had a guest planned for 11.30, but, you know, it is what it is. So guess what? The game hotline, wide open. It is all there for you the next, like, 60 minutes or so. And then we got something really cool coming up. We keep mentioning each and every Saturday, recrowning the champion, recrowning the champion. But we got, we're got we doubling down all this stuff because why the hell not? So today, we've got a special treat for you when it comes to, a I, again, I'm calling this a double feature. Since movie theaters aren't really a thing right now, maybe won't be before long, we've got the big story. we got a double header of great Astros classics. And I, I just got to say, I have loved the fact that they're doing this. Each they've been given these giving us these opportunities to re-air some old school Astros games. And it's just really great to have this conversation of just doing this each and every week. Each and every weekend, I should say. And today's is going to be from all the way back on April 29th, 2005. So just keep it locked right here on 1037 the game. We've got a double header, a double feature, a double matinee, if you will, of sports. So we go from that and then we get to the main course. The I'd say this this is your appetizer. This is kind of like your appetizer. Maybe maybe consider this like pre gaming, and then we get to the actual stuff that matters most, and that is some live sports. Even if it's some best of games, I gotta give just tons of credit to the Astros folks for getting this thing going. So today at noon, right after we're done here, you'll hear a special re air of a game from back in April twenty ninth, two thousand and five, during that magical run to the World Series that they came up just a little bit short. I wish they would re-air some of those Astros games in the World Series, but maybe just maybe we'll get those a little bit further down the road. But that's this is going to be a really cool one because this is from a game with Roger Clemens taking on Greg Maddox, both 300-game winners. And I can remember it was actually on this day back in 2003, if I'm not mistaken, that Roger Clemens got his 300th win with the New York Yankees, if I'm not mistaken. The only reason why I really remember that is because the next day was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, which is always on Flag Day. That's the big reason why I remember that more than anything. And then Sunday, we got another Astros Classic from 2009 on June 13th with Miguel Tejada, his 2,000th hit, and Lance Berkman's 300th home run. So really cool stuff. I recommend you check out on Sunday. This will be right after Chip Shots with David Gary and RP3. Going to be having a lot of fun with that. So again, we got a lot of great stuff coming up for you over the next few weeks in terms of like live and local content. Because obviously we got all the great shows here. We're back inside the studios and we're having a whole lot of fun with it. But I, I got to say, I, I got to bring this up because Matt Boltz, part of the Astros Radio Network, I got to give him credit for sending me all these things. And we actually had a conversation just like hearing some of the, the wave of nostalgia, especially a few weeks ago, we were hearing calls from Milo Ham- Hamilton and, and Alan Ashby, two guys who I mean, my dad more so remembers than me, but it just it's a wave of nostalgia. It's those old days. Like I can tell you right now, and I was mentioning this on Twitter a few days ago, is that when it comes to the Houston Astros, I've always been a fan of them ever since I was little. I may not remember the first game I went to when it comes to the actual score, the result. Sometimes I wonder about the year even, but I know it was against the San Francisco Giants at the old Astrodome, and that was the first game I ever went to. I don't remember that. But I much more remember 
Astro World and that experience in and of itself because that's just so cool when you're a little kid as opposed to a baseball game. You know, that's just the whole situation when it comes down to it. But I got to say, I love the Astros and the fact that like I've been able to, we've been able to air some of these old school games. It's a wave of nostalgia. I was hearing I remember that we played one from whenever the Astros won the NL Central in 2001, if I'm not mistaken, and then they won, it was after 9/11, then talking about that Daryl Kyle, rest in peace, Bagwell, Bizio, some of those great players from those early 2000 squads where this team was starting to build momentum to get to where they wound up getting, and that is a couple of NLCSs and losing to the Cardinals one year and then winning the next and then getting to the World Series and getting swept by the deep... Oh, man. I don't even want to mention that their name, but, you know... And then, who'd have thunk, you know, a few years later, I'd be here inside the game studios as the Astros made their World Series run. We'd be airing each and every one of those games. I'd be listening to a lot of them and, and hearing everything about it. May not have heard banging on a trash can or strumming on a streetlight, but at the end of the day, just want just being around the Astros is amazing. And the conversation me and Matt Bolts had was kind of the same because he's from you know Chicago. He spent some time being with the Cubs as part of WGN, and he mentioned some of that stuff about how he's been part of the Houston, moved over to Houston like in the last like five six years. And he mentioned the fact he has feel feel a lot stronger allegiance to the Astros because he gets to hear some of these old school games. Now, I'm going to get to what I really wanted to talk about and then get to get down to what's really causing all this, and that is the fact that the New York Yankees may be in a little bit of trouble because of Aaron Judge being a complete idiot. Or better yet, them wanting to unseal this letter. This is was first reported by The Athletic, of course, the good brother, um, uh, Ken Rosenthal, absolutely amazing. So a letter from Commissioner Rob Manfred to the Yankees detailing the findings of a 2017 investigation into the alleged sign-stealing program would be un- should be unsealed. A judge ruled Friday. Yes, you heard me right. A judge ruled Friday for this, and I am just, I'm all the way for it. I'm, I'm loving it. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Because you know what they say, karma is a little bit of a B word, but at the same time, you just got to feel, if you're an Astros fan, this is sweet justice. Sweet justice has finally come to And I have to wholeheartedly agree, justice, sweet justice, and, you know, this is coming from U.S. District Court Judge Jed Rakoff saying that, you know, they need to. They're going. They Yankees and MLB have until noon on Monday to submit a minimally redacted version of the letter. Though the Yankees argue it would cause significant reputational injury. Give it to me, baby. Give this to me right now. Put it in my veins. Tell me the Yankees were sign stealing too, because we talk about it all the time. It's always the case of the Yankees. They they are treated. Like they are the absolute kings of the world. They are, in in the wrestling terms, like Charlotte Flair. They very much are the guys who are just out there, and you know that they're doing something wrong, but you can't can't outright say it. Fast forward now, you can say everything you want to say about them, because I gotta say I am just all the way here for saying that we see the MLB just open up 
the full thing, and we see this minimally redacted letter saying that the Houston Astros weren't the only ones cheating. We know the Red Sox were cheating. We know probably the Mets were cheating as well, which is why they got rid of Carlos Beltran before, like faster than, quicker than a hiccup, if you will. I was trying to think of what I was going to say there, but I couldn't think of an analogy. But quicker than a hiccup, I think, works well. But when it comes down to it, I am all the way here for justice when it comes to getting rid of making the Yankees look bad. Because honestly, we always just see them look as absolute gods among men. Because they've, But they've built all these teams. They're the evil empire for a reason, but they never get caught. They never, they never get in trouble. You notice that, right? The New York Yankees never get in trouble. The Los Angeles Dodgers never get in trouble. Here's the facts, people. The fact is... All MLB teams do do sign stealing. Maybe not the, to the technological advantages, but I wouldn't be surprised if some other teams are doing the same damn thing that the Astros did to gain that competitive edge. Because in the words of Jesse the Body Ventura back in the days, he used to say, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Eddie Guerrero, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. We know that there's people out there who are trying to catch that competitive edge, and I gotta say, I love it when it comes to seeing the Astros get they. Uh, the Astros definitely deserve to get theirs. Maybe not necessarily fire the GM and fire fire a bunch of other guys and the head coach. Bottom line is, they got caught, but nobody else really got the amount of hate. That the Astros got. Because everybody knew. Everybody said. It's just the Astros are doing it. The Astros are doing it. That is a load of bull. We know the fact that the Astros are out there. They're not the only ones who are cheating. Everybody in the MLB has been cheating for a long time. It is a load of BS. The fact that we're hearing. We're just now hearing about the Yankees potentially sign stealing. The Red Sox were sign stealing. They should be. I say. Honestly, open the whole book up. Let's see how many of those teams cheated. Let's see how many of teams over the last five years were cheating, even if it was in slightly similar ways. I guarantee you, you'll expose the business, expose this thing, because I guarantee you there are a lot of different teams cheating, and I absolutely love it. Just, just, again, put this in my veins, Jack, because I cannot wait to see what happens next with this entire story. Because again, the ruling is there was it was tied to a lawsuit filed by DraftKings players against MLB, the Astros, and Red Sox for allegedly defrauding them with their respective sign stealing programs. The suit was dismissed in April, but the plaintiffs have since appealed to the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Who would have thought DraftKings would lead to the downfall of the New York Yankees and and shatter the image of this pristine thing? Here's the thing. Nothing at all about this is pristine. The MLB just decided to let them off. Let them off the hook because they're they're the golden child. They're the golden cow. A lot like what we see with the Los Angeles Doyers. We know the Dodgers probably were doing something shady, but no, they're the ones that were like, oh, because Astros Astros cost us a World Series championship. Well, here's the thing. You know, it don't matter if you sign stealing or what. Figure out a way to beat the system. Beat the system that's against you. Because I'll tell you, look at what the Nationals did. They beat the Astros four times inside their home stadium. Yes, you heard me right. Beat them four times in their home stadium. Had never happened before. 
where all games were won by the road team. So you can't say that banging on a trash can, strumming on a street light, is the reason why the Astros won that World Series. You should have played a little bit better, okay? Dodgers, you should have played a little bit better. It's not like all the games were won in Houston. If I'm not mistaken, the first game, they lost. And they got their behinds handed to them. Were they cheating? Were they sign-stealing? Maybe. But guess what? Sign-stealing isn't necessarily going to wind up being 100% of the answer. Isn't going to solve the puzzle, Pat, when it comes right down to it. This is amazing, and this is going to open up a whole other can of worms, and I cannot wait for it because I want to see the Yankees get their comeuppance. They were one of the many who were crying and complaining, whining and moaning, about the fact that the Astros beat them. The Astros beat them. I don't give a damn. I'm loving it when it comes to the fact that the Astros are getting a little bit of a smile on their face. We're seeing people on Twitter just absolutely loving it. The fact that things are opening up and we got a chance to see the Yankees get theirs. It's it's a lot like back in the day when you watched wrestling. And it was always... Babyface versus heel. And you always wanted to see the heel get theirs, get their comeuppance. And the babyface finally does it and gets over on them. Now, mind you, nowadays it's 50-50 booking in wrestling. So you don't necessarily get to see 100% of the time the babyface get the comeuppance. But when you saw the heel get his tail handed to him, you are pretty darn happy, right? You were over the moon because of the fact that you knew the man came around and got his title, got his that is a pound of flesh. This is the Astros' pound of flesh, and that is the Yankees getting exposed just a little bit more, and I am all the way here for it. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we'll probably talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving, the flat-earth nonsense he's spitting. But, hey, if you want to call us up, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. The game hotline is open, and I'm here for you for whatever you want. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Roger Clemens is in George's box, and Roger Clemens is coming back. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. Of all the dramatic things... Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen, Roger Clemens standing right in George Steinbrenner's box announcing he is back. Roger Clemens is a New York Yankee. And man, Roger Clemens, is that, that, that moment is still just hilarious to me. Susan Waldman just yelling the way she just yells, Roger Clemens is in George's box. It's so good. It just hits a certain way. I don't know why. It, it makes me laugh. But what also made me laugh was the fact that, you know, the ML, the, the NBA, excuse me, the NBA Players Association wound up conducting a conference call yesterday and, and the, a week ago, you had the vote on restarting a season and they agreed, you know, and, you know, 
Kyrie Irving was an active participant in this. But at the end of the day, he still wants to kind of come back and say, hey, let's get these, uh, let's have a meeting and let's talk about this. Like, I'm, I don't want to do this stuff. And I, I, I got some of the quotes in here are absolutely amazing when it comes right down to it with Kyrie Irving and what he's saying. When it comes to the NBA restarting the season because of the fact that they are complaining and not necessarily a huge fan of the fact that, you know, it's it, there's a lot of other stuff when it comes down to it of what exactly was said. A lot of this coming from Shams Terrania of the Athletic, also part of Stadium. Because the report is NBA players are hesitant on a bit of a restart. And, you know, Carmelo Anthony definitely won that spoke out a lot. And, you know, they had a call of 80-plus players, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, several other players spoke up by not supporting a resumed season due to nationwide unrest from social injustice, all, all that stuff. Obviously, COVID-19 concerns, because I think that's another thing that we need to realize. In Orange County, Florida, where Disney World is, they have a significant spike in COVID-19 cases. Another reason why the this whole situation is just ridiculous when it comes down to it. And, you know, every player had a voice, wants to find purpose, whether they play or not. And it's just, you know, here's what Irving said. Quote, I don't support going into Orlando. I'm not with the systemic racism and the censor for radio. Something smells a little fishy. I'm get, willing to give up everything I have for social reform. And it's I, it's a good idea. Don't get me wrong. What are you saying? To give that up for that? That's a great cause. But at the end of the day, you all already agreed on it. The fact that there was a conversation that was had at well after the fact that, oh, hey, we're going to restart the season. And you are part of the conversations. God, Kyrie Irving is a complete idiot. Like Kyrie Irving was, a, was the guy that just keeps making me have reasons not to like him. First of all, he's a flat earther, which is hilarious in and of itself. But also the fact that this guy just does not get it. You already agreed to the terms. You can't just like go ahead and double back and say, hey, I'm not going to go ahead and play. <sighs> it's absolutely positively frustrating to see the NBA continue to like want basically say, hey, we're going to go ahead and resume play. Nope, we're not going to. It's like, come on, man, make up your mind. Basically. Get, like, get out the pot. I mean, come on, dude. Just stop being an ass and just go ahead and do what you need to do to make sure your success going forward is there. Your chance to play the sport that you love is there. You could have said, hey, we don't agree with this. And then back to the drawing board. Or maybe you just shut down the season and move on. That's probably what they what they should have done, in all honesty. And then they're also saying, you know, the NBA, like there's no way you're going to have fans for all of the 2020-2021 season. And, you know, I think it'll vary from state to state. In the case of Texas and Florida, there's going to be some issues because, again, they've had a second wave hit them hard. Now, could it hit hard here? I don't know. We're seeing it increase, but at the same time over here, at least from what I'm able to kind of tell and I got to give a ton of credit from Jeff Asher um, uh, on Twitter 
He's part of my, yeah, on Twitter at Crimealytics. He has done some amazing stuff with like all the latest. He gives us a daily update of like how much things are going up, how much things are going down. And we're seeing like it's still relatively staying the same percentage wise from day to day. But at the same time, we are seeing more testing being done, more testing statewide being done. And that kind of keeps things in terms of the percent of positive cases going a little bit more in that positive direction, as opposed to stuff like Florida, where they're seeing all-time highs in COVID-19 cases. Texas, same thing. There is a lot more of an issue there in those states that maybe opened up a little too early. Now, could the situation be, hey, you know, these guys tested positive and they've, they're going to be isolated and eventually we'll see things work, work itself out. It's a possibility, but it just seems very tough to say, hey, we're going to go ahead and shut it down and like like Houston did. Houston, Houston Cougars football, in case you missed it in the first hour, they just basically said we're suspending activities largely because of the fact that they did not do any testing beforehand. Like That was a dumb idea to begin with. That was a ridiculous idea, first of all. But yeah. I think this is what's going to happen next, and that is the fact that they're going to move on and have a different situation with the NBA, and we're going to see just a bunch of mess when it comes to the world. Come on, dude. This is ridiculous. We're sitting here saying that Kyrie Irving wants to get all these guys in here and talk about whether or not they should play. Whenever they already got the season restarted, Dude, there's no going back on this. This isn't like a this isn't like when you're a little kid and basically you're trading baseball cards or Pokemon cards or whatever cards you had back in the gap. however old you are and you're listening in. Maybe it was baseball cards. Whatever it was. Maybe it was I don't know. I NFL trading cards, whatever. You get what I'm talking about. And you trade. The old saying, no gives these backsies. You can't take this back. No trade backs. There is no trade backs in this situation. You can't just go ahead and trade it back when you realize you got a rift. You already kind of made your bed lie in it. And Kyrie Irving, you're too busy rehabbing. Like, you're not going to play anyways. Get it together, bro. Just get it together. That's all I got to say. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, I think it's a little story time with CD. I feel like I've got, I've got a story to tell from a few days ago that's still kind of like wild to me. I'll talk about that. And a little bit of UFC as well. Because I was supposed to have Blaine Henry on, but things didn't necessarily work out. It is what it is, baby. 337-706-0111 is how you get in on the game hotline. Back after this on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. From the octagon oh! to the 20 by 20 squared circle. Oh! And everywhere in between. Give me a hell yeah! The world famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. Coming to you live from the game studios. And I mentioned it earlier, just what's going on with UFC. They are just cranking out shows left and right. In fact, tonight 
They've got UFC Fight Night. It was originally scheduled to be in Saskatoon, but now it's at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I think everybody was talking about last night, Jessica I weighing in for the main event. Jessica I 15 and 7 with one no contest, taking on Cynthia Cavillo, 8 1 and 1 overall record in the UFC. That's going to be a fun main event. But I think everybody was really talking about what was going on with Jessica I. She weighed in and missed cut by like just about 0.25 pounds. She barely missed weight. Again, she missed. this is the second time. She's missed weight. And what was even more concerning is the fact that, you know, she very much looked like, you know, she she could barely stand. In fact, she said this outright, that she could not stand. Like, she could barely stand as she was stepping up for weigh-ins. She was doing, she was posing, and then all of a sudden, you're just, like, you could just tell she was not herself. And this is the second straight fight after challenging for the women's flyweight title a year ago. She missed her mark on the scale. And it was, again, just by 0.25 pounds with the mask on at the official weigh-ins. And that's just very concerning in and of itself when it comes to what's going on with the UFC. And we saw, obviously, the first show they had back. They had a COVID-19 positive test, and they handled it the right way because, as far as I can tell, nobody else had contracted COVID-19, and we saw the show go on as planned, and it was a damn good show. UFC 250 this past weekend was a solid card with, I'd say, a heck of a star coming up in the future. And if you missed the Cajun Strong Style podcast we dropped this past Monday, I actually talked about it. Sean O'Malley going to be a breakout star in the UFC, already at 12-0 and overall record, and he had a knockout in less than like two minutes. Dude looks like a creative wrestler from like the old No Mercy days, and it's amazing. I like this guy a lot. But when it comes down to it, everybody talked about the Felicia Spencer, Amanda Nunes fight. Twenty and four overall record for Amanda Nunes now after beating Felicia Spencer. But it was a decisive margin too when it came down to it, a unanimous decision. And now we're going to move on a little bit further down the line, and it's all about what's going on, not not next weekend, but the like, a couple weekends after that, towards the end of the month of June. UFC Fight Night in Las Vegas, once again, at the UFC Apex. The main event, Dustin the Diamond Poirier finally back in the octagon for the first time in almost a year. It, I can't believe it's almost been a year since his last fight. The last time he fought was against Stipe Miocic, losing to him by submission, losing that light, that interim lightweight title, which was one hell of a fight. But now we see him, we, I mean, that was Poirier losing to... Khabib Nurmagomedov. I don't know why I think I said Stevie. I'm talking about him later, but comes down to it. Facing off against a guy like Dan Hooker. This is going to be a really evenly matched fight. Both these guys, relatively similar records. Poirier has had more fights, but 25 and 6 versus a guy who's 28, 20 and 8 overall. That is going to be a fun, like, kind of little matchup here. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with that. And that's going to be coming up on June 27th. And I'm looking forward to seeing Dustin Poirier get back into the octagon and start making his way back up the, the rankings and getting towards a certain point where he could probably f- fight for that flyweight for that lightweight title a little bit further down the road. Because of course, what's going to happen with Khabib? Is there going to be another interim title match? Because of the fact, obviously, Fight Island might change some things, and you know, I think well, obviously the next a couple cards down the road. 
are going to be in that fight island, and that is going to be the most interesting part of all this. UFC 252 hasn't been announced for an official site, but the main event has been announced, and that is going to be DC taking on Steve Miocic. Give me that all day long and twice on Sunday. It is going to be an amazing fight. Those two, the trilogy, the last ride for Daniel Cormier, according to Errol Hawani, who joined Jim Rome earlier this week. This is going to be the last ride for him, and honestly, I don't blame him. I think he always had in mind one last fight, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with UFC 252 and how the rest of that card shapes up because, again, that's going to be in mid-August, if I'm not mistaken. It's going to be actually August 15th, so right in the middle of it, second weekend in August. That's typically when you book your supercard, and however they book their supercard, it's going to be amazing to see them book a show and be able to figure it out to where this thing's going to be an absolute banger, a great way to end off. Steve Bay could retire too. I mean, regardless, you could have two of your top heavyweights retire after this because, I mean, Daniel Cormier, he won an opportunity against Brock Lesnar but wasn't able to get it. I cannot wait to see DC try and win the heavyweight title for the second time in his career and hold up the proverbial 10 pounds of gold, even though I think it's a lot more than 10 pounds. But now, a little bit of story time. I'm talking about the UFC, and I got an email the other day, and me and Ben talked about this on Thursday. So here's the story. UFC's on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. And I'm like, okay, cool deal. They're going to be over there. I'm, I'm obviously not going because I've got to be here inside the game studios producing all the shows that we get by Bumper to Bumper Sports and the Jordy Holtberg show, Cajun Strong Style, this show. There's no way this show's going to wind up going that far down the road all the way to Abu Dhabi and Yaz Island. But I got an email the other day, basically along with all the other members of the media, saying if you're considering attending any of the events to be held on Fight Island, on Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi, you must submit your application to the link by 5 o'clock on Friday, June the 12th. That was yesterday. To have your application considered, anyone that applies may be unable to attend events due to restrictions surrounding the events. Nine times out of ten, I would never go cover something internationally. First of all, I'd have to go get a passport. It's just That's a whole different situation in and of itself. But the fact that, obviously, you've got just so much going on in the UFC, I don't think I'd necessarily be comfortable with going to Abu Dhabi to cover a fight and probably not leave Fight Island for like weeks on end. And I'd be because here's the thing. I was gonna kinda mention this earlier in the show, but again, um uh, the Yankees decided to make headlines for all the wrong reasons, and I love it. Is the fact that the way they're doing the media with the NBA when they restart their season, they'll be inside of a bubble, proverbially speaking. Inside the wide world of sports. And it's a lot like Hotel California. Once you check in, you can never leave. That's what we're talking about right now when it comes to the NBA. And I'm sure the UFC is going to follow a similar thing. Once you get here, you're not leaving anytime soon, brother. And when it comes to the NBA, you're going to be spending three and a half months in Disney World. And you're going to be spending three months in Disney World where I don't think you can ride the rides. But, but the staff can leave. Staff can leave whatever they want. But you've got to stay all right there. You've got to stay in your little area and be 
pretty much literally socially distant from everybody else. You know, in the case of probably, I'd say Andrew Lopez. He works for the mothership now. He's he's New Orleans guy. He's going to be over there covering the Pels as they try and hopefully make the postseason. It's uphill climb, but there's still at least somewhat of a chance. But when it comes down to it, like, would you? I think it's a great question for you to answer if you want to call us up. 337-706-0111. Would you spend three and a half months inside Disneyland and basically not leave for three and a half months? And it doesn't matter what time of year it is or whatever. Could you spend three and a half months inside of Disney World where you can't ride the rides and basically you're seeing the same people every day and you can't really get out of your own little bubble, your proverbial bubble, would you do that? I think that's a really legitimate question that I'm asking myself. And it definitely was a question that I asked myself when it came to this offer where I got an email about this. And I'm sure all the other people who are signed up through UFC's mailing list saw that as well. And I could, it, I thought it was a joke at first. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I did sign up for like the UFC because I thought like, Maybe, just maybe, I could have used that to get guests on the show, but then it's complicated. But more importantly, the fact that you can actually sign up for UFC fights and go to Fight Island to go cover it, and then you're probably out and about for, like, months on end, you're going to be having, like, conversations probably with Dana White on a regular basis and have to take, like, COVID tests probably every week. There's a lot that I'm just like, I'd be kind of frowning on and it's not because of the fact that i'm not a ufc fan i'm a huge like combat sports guy you you know i'm a huge pro wrestling guy if you've heard the cajun strong style podcast by the way the episode we dropped on thursday heading into backlash that got a lot of love and i appreciate everybody who joined we had like a double whammy of guests i'm a jeremy donovan of keeping it strong style part of the social suplex podcast network and my buddy kyle king talking a little of Backlash and New Japan returning to business, which go look at how New Japan is opening up for business. They're going to start without fans, and then the plan is for them around like mid-July, they're going to start allowing fans in, like 30% attendance. It's a weird number, but could New Japan and the country of Japan in general do things like that, and we see the state... I mean, the United States and everybody else kind of follow suit. I would not be surprised if that's the way we see things be used. I think the model we're seeing in Japan could be the model we see worldwide. Like mid-July, fans will be allowed a lot more in the stands. Now, of course, in the case of, you know, I'd say probably Texas, Florida, other major states that have seen a significant spike in COVID-19, after maybe, just maybe, opening up a little too early. I'm not here to say, you know, that they shouldn't have done this, but honestly, there probably could have been a better idea and a better strategy in terms of opening up. And I think Louisiana is that model. And I'm not going to bore you with the facts and and the stats and everything, because I'm just going to say, like, I think Louisiana nailed it. They waited a little bit longer because they just weren't sure. In the case of New Orleans, they are just entering phase two right now, I believe. They waited like a little bit longer 
before going into phase two because they just didn't feel comfortable with following those same guidelines. And I think in a couple weeks, we'll see the possibility of phase three, of phase three of this reopening of America based off of what the president of the United States put out. That's where we're kind of standing right now. And that's what you're going to have to deal with. Be it your UFC, the world of MLB, if they even have a season, or even if we're talking about what's going on with kind of the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, what's going to happen with them? Are you going to, when are you going to be able to allow fans in the stands? That's going to be the question I think a lot of us wonder going forward is when do we allow fans in the stands? And I think it'll be probably, especially here in September or October. And why am I putting those, those two months there? Well, because by then, based off of what we're seeing, possibly the second spike, the second wave could have already happened and maybe we're on the other side of it. Again, I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist, not an expert, but just based off of what I'm seeing, let's say hypothetically right here, right now, Texas, Florida, they're in their second wave because they open up a little bit too early. You start restricting. And it's it's going to be damn near impossible to restrict everything again. Basically, just start start pulling back again without imposing even further, without imposing an even like firmer lockdown or whatever you want to call it, the stay-at-home order, like Louisiana put it, basically, oh, it was almost like a lockdown to a certain extent. Like You could go do things because it was like vitally important, but at the same time, it's just straight up like very, very interesting when it comes down to it. And um, uh, somebody actually just tweeted this, sent this to me from the, the anonymous text line. Let's just put it that way. If you have my number, that is the text line where you can hit me up with all kinds of stupid stuff. And the the current status of the NBA, it's a picture, and you've got LeBron James staring at Kyrie Irving, and he just looks like he wants to just slap the you-know-what out of him. Can't say I don't blame him. But before we take a quick timeout, let me get a quick update of what's going on with the Charles Schwab tournament, the, the Charles Schwab challenge. We're getting in a round three later today, and the main eventers in terms of the top guys in this like leaderboard, you've got pretty fun lineup to say the least. Some of these guys are already done. You got him uh, like Hadley going to be six under on the day, eight under overall. He's tied for seventh. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens with round three with those top guys, like in the top four. He's right now Harold Varner the third is at eleven under. Then you got a tie. Bryson DeChambeau taking on Jordan and Jordan Spieth tied for second at ten under. And then you've got Morikawa. He's at nine under and tied with Xander Shalfley and Rory McIlroy. And Rory McIlroy really came alive in round number two of the Charles Schwab Challenge. So he's going to be somebody you need to keep an eye on in round three if you're a big fan of golf. And again, golf is back. That's something really cool. And I think not enough people are truly talking about because golf is always going to be just really nice and enjoyable when it comes to what's going on in the world of sports is it's the perfect social distancing sport. And like within minutes after they go on the air, Jim Nance having apologized for somebody dropping an F bomb, like clear as day on the air. And he did it perfectly. He handled that extremely well. And I'm absolutely loving it. So make sure you enjoy maybe maybe a little golf on this Saturday morning, or maybe if you're like our guy, Ben love out there and here to join some fishing, 
wherever you are, make sure you do so responsibly and practice that safe and, I mean, absolutely safe social distancing on this Saturday morning, almost Saturday afternoon. And we got one more segment, which means I've got one final take. I'm going to shoot off, and then we'll go home. And then I'll be back with you on next Saturday's show with hopefully a couple different guests. Hunter Herring, I've already got locked in. Ironically, I was able to book him for next week's show. And then I've got another one I was trying to get in touch with, and that is the head coach of UC San Diego, head coach for UC San Diego. One of his players actually got drafted by the Astros in Shea Whitcomb. We'll probably talk to him about that and a whole lot more. They had a really great season when I was looking it up, but I can't wait to have that conversation with him and maybe try and wrangle up some other guests a little bit further down the road. But you're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Back after this, and we'll wrap it up next. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Well, this is more just an opinion here when it comes to just what happened 50 years ago yesterday. 50 years ago yesterday, Doc Ellis threw a no-hitter while on LSD. Yes, you hear me right. And why am I bringing this up? Because one of our friends, we've had her on in the past, Good friend of the program, Kara Ritchie, on her show, The Workday Red Zone, she brought this up. And that is, is this the greatest achievement, like, wildest sports achievement of all time, to be able to throw a no-hitter while on LSD? This happened 50 years ago yesterday. But what gets your vote as a lot of cool that it actually happened? There was a guy who took LSD. And was somehow, some way able to throw a no-hitter. And the story is even more amazing. If you've ever checked out the YouTube video about it, it is crazy. Just hearing the story of like, oh, he wound up getting permission to drive to his hometown of Los Angeles the night before a game against the Pods. And then he left. He knew it was an early game, so he basically took a little bit and then was somehow, some way able to get there. And then everything was kind of blurry. And he just was basically in a different world, but somehow, some way, despite taking drugs, those kind of drugs, he threw a no hitter. That is amazing. Like it's probably one of my favorite like sports stories of all time. And I wish there was some way to do like a long form thirty for thirty. It's absolutely amazing. And yes, this actually happened fifty years ago yesterday. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. Maybe one day I'll get like a more in-depth thing about it, but I'd recommend you go check out the YouTube video because it pretty much breaks it down in like almost to a science. But that's about all I got here for you on this Saturday morning. We'll be back with you next week. Hopefully we got a stacked guest list. I'm trying to start really getting some people together for next week's show already. So make sure you enjoy yourself. Be back with you next Saturday with Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. But of, but of course, I'll be here producing Jordy and Ben's show as well all next week.